episode always powered by the amazing Rodecaster Pro you don't have that product go and pick it up today special episode coming your way man we're gonna talk we're gonna talk some cheese some guap skrilla cake paper whatever you like to call it Money. We're going to talk money. Money in sports. And how we got here. We have athletes turning down almost a half billion dollars. Athletes are seeking half a billion compensation nowadays. We're in an age where that's not crazy. But how'd we get here? How'd we arrive from guys having jobs during the off-seasons to making more money than they can spend five lifetimes over? We'll take a look at that. Also, going to talk about the landscape of sports. As it centers around money in Washington, D.C. Some of the highest paid players around here. We'll have a little fun. See who may be overpaid and who's right on par. Also, a little fun. We'll look at some uh, some guys from some other cities and this one included. and We'll figure out who's underpaid. Who doesn't get enough of that guap, that skrilla, that cheese that maybe they deserve? We're talking money all show today. Stacks and phlegm, real nonsense. Ready to spend some dough. Half of all American adults have more credit card debt than savings. 
25% have no savings at all, and only 15% of the population is on track to fund even one year of retirement. Suggesting what? The middle class is evaporating, or the American dream is dead? You wouldn't be sitting there listening to me if the latter were true. You see, I think most people just have a fundamentally flawed view of money. Is it simply an agreed-upon unit of exchange for goods and services? $3.70 for a gallon of milk? $30 bucks to cut your grass? Or is it an intangible? Security or happiness? Peace of mind? Let me propose a third option. Money as a measuring device. You see, the hard reality is how much money we accumulate in life is not a function of who's president, or the economy, or bubbles bursting, or bad breaks, or bosses. It's about the American work ethic, the one that made us the greatest country on Earth. It's about bucking the media's opinion as to what constitutes a good parent, deciding to miss the ball game, the play, the concert, because you've resolved to work and invest in your family's future and taking responsibility for the consequences of those actions. Patience, frugality, sacrifice. When you boil it down, what do those three things have in common? Those are choices. Money is not peace of mind. Money is not happiness. Money is, at its essence, that measure of a man's choices. Marty Burns, fictional character from Ozark. Perfect microcosm of uh, money. How we view it, especially in American society. So, uh, this past week, we've been gone for a week. Uh, Juan Soto was offered a $440 million contract over the span of 15 years. To remain a Washington National His contract's up in uh, Two years 2024 uh, Season He's not having the best year this year But let's not even do that Let's not even play that game Let's wrap our minds around The most money ever offered To a player In sports Has just been turned down now, average per year wasn't great. We only land him about 17th to 20. Especially, who knows when he gets in the middle of that deal where he'd be at as far as average uh, per year. But over the long term, it'd be the most money any player's ever made. Uh, definitely any player's ever signed to. And he doesn't want any part of that. Him and his agent, they're chasing average years, uh, average value per year. Uh, I'm not 100% against that. That's to the uh, skit played earlier. That's the part of money that's the measuring stick. It's not about, at this point, what the money could do for Juan Soto. It's not about what it could do. The money now is about what it represents. It represents him as being... And that's what you're saying when you pay him that way. The best player in baseball. That's what he wants. That's what his agent wants. They don't want anything less. They don't want to be viewed as anything less. 
And there is a slight difference in that. There's a slight difference in paying a guy long term the most money ever and paying them up front as the best player ever. There is a difference to that. Those aren't, you know, those aren't apples and apples. They're not. And him and his agent have decided that deal that they put on the table wasn't good enough. And the Nats, who I don't blame for this, uh, went ahead and made that public. That Mr. Soto did not want to take the $440 million offer that they put on the table and didn't want to take it for the time, uh, the length of that deal. No money was deferred, which is uh, different for them because they most recently deferred the Max Scherzer contract, which is now coming back to bite us. This was the first year of that. Every July 1st, Max Scherzer gets $5 million from the Washington Nationals for the next, I think, minimum eight years. But Bobby Bonilla, he made that contract famous. He's infamous guy, and we'll touch on him on this later as far as the history of sports and worst contracts ever. But a uh, little teaser here, Bonilla, to me, has the worst contract ever. The New York Mets are on the hook paying Bonina a million, like 1.3, something like that, roughly. $1.3 million every July 1st. From now, he's been getting it. But from since around 2018 until the year 2036. Every time July 1st rolls around, Bonina gets a direct deposit to his bank account of a million plus dollars. And there's no, it's no earthly reason that kind of money should be deferred and that kind of money should be on your books. There's no reason you should be paying a guy well into his 50s like he's on an active roster, more than guys on active rosters, more than guys in your farm system. But how we get here? What got us to this point? What got us to where we are in sports Where the money is that outrageous. Where we pay guys who don't play. Where the value of particular players in particular sports is over hundreds of millions of dollars. How'd we get here? Sports have been around forever. Organized sports in the word, I'm using air quotes, professional sports. Let's call it the 1920s. Where we decided to start compensating athletes and using the term professional athletes. So then, this is, and then always too with history. Always put yourself in the mindset of where the particular region or country or, or whatever you're also putting in the context was at. So 1920s, no TV. You know, newspaper, radio, these are the two biggest forms of media outlets. That's all you got. Uh, and, and the two biggest sports are baseball and golf. Those are the two sports that are paying people. It's baseball, it's golf. And back in that time, Babe Ruth, for a year, baseball made $80,000. 
Now, inflation's a SOB. Of course, 80000 back then is not the same 100 years ago as it is today. But the reality is, too, we can see that 80000 still left Babe Ruth grossly underpaid. I mean, he is the sport. He was the sport. He's the most famous guy in the sport. You, you never had to swing a baseball or catch one. If you ask somebody to name a baseball player, nine times out of ten, they know or have heard of Babe Ruth. And remember that, too, because this will circle back to now. And this will kind of answer our question later. Because maybe that's the value in the players. That it's not just what they do on or off their respective field of play. I'm sorry, on their uh, respective field of play. That there is some inherent value to what they bring to the sport overall and the organization overall. But we'll we'll get back to that. But you got guys like Babe Ruth making $80,000 in a year. Let's bump it up and be generous. I don't have the, the inflation uh, calculator with me, but let's just be generous and call it 80000 back there and is equivalent to, let's say, $15 million now. Let's say twenty, just so we don't even undershoot it. Let's say $80,000 back then is, in today's money, $20 million. He's still underpaid. Grossly underpaid. Grossly underpaid. We're talking about the best player in the sports history. Especially at that time. So that gives you just a little bit to wrap your mind around. There was no money in sports in its early fate, in its early stages. There was no real money in sports. You had guys like Arnold Palmer winning tournaments. He won the Canadian Open. You know the prize money in it? The prize money for that Canadian Open. When Arnold Palmer won it in 1955, was a whopping $2,400. Compared to in 2013 when Adam Scott won, he won the Masters and took home a cup. I mean, a, a pot of 100, I'm sorry, $1.4 million. And again, an icon to the sport, Arnold Palmer was playing an entire tournament, four rounds of golf. He left with 2400 bucks. So what changed? And what put the surge and put the dollars on steroids? Because it wasn't your popularity. It wasn't how good you were at the sport. These are transcendent players who never get forgotten. Arnold Palmer, always attached to the game of golf. Babe Ruth, always attached to the game of baseball. But he came in the late 50s and late 60s. When television became an outlet. And that changed America. That changed the way we consumed our sports. And that also changed the value of our sports. Sports had an overwhelming entertainment value that they never had before. Of course, baseball had radio. Of course, you could go see the games if you were fortunate enough to live close enough. But now as the country expands, now as people move on westward, air conditioning and things like that start to come into play and humans just migrate 
farther than ever. You don't need to live close to the local team or worry as much about how you're going to entertain yourself in your downtime. The television took a lot of credit for that. And still to this day, we talk about it. NFL, how teams like our, our home team, the Commanders, can can be last in attendance year after year, and it doesn't hurt Daniel Snyder's bottom line. And people always, and they always harp on it, the experts. It's the TV money. The owners split that. And the TV money is enough to keep them afloat. More than afloat. Keep them in the plot. Keep them in the positives. The TV money alone. All the other money is just icing on top. It's just the cost of doing business. You think if owners could get rid of concession, they, they would love to get rid of concession. It's an overhead cost. It's a liability if someone gets sick. It's more people you have to pay. It's a headache. They don't need it. Not in any mean. They don't need you. The pandemic showed you that. They don't need you at the game. They just need a place to play the games. That's it. That's it. They don't need you. And that's what happened. Early 60s, TV and broadcasting came in and changed the game. Changed the way we intake sports. How we even determine our value. In 1966, Sandy Koufax and Don Drysdale were the first two pitchers. Koufax for the L.A. Dodgers. Both for the Dodgers, my apology. Decided to bargain their worth. Coming off the 65 World Series, there was a set standard that all pitchers were paid. And they argued they were worth more than what was set. And in doing so, Koufax and Drysdale were able to receive $125,000 and $110,000 respectively by playing hardball, no pun intended. By sitting down and arguing that the value placed on their position was not enough compensation for what they brought to the sport and to the team. And owners who used to operate under the gentleman's agreement where they pretty much set the market and agreed not to pay positions over a certain amount because of this very reason, because they didn't want players commanding their own salaries, Pushed back, tried to sue, but they lost. They lost to the players. Because there is something inherently true about the players being of a particular value to the sport and the franchise. And they shouldn't just be able to have a dollar amount just straight up attached to them. And after that, the, the gates opened. Free agency became a thing in 1975 where players got to determine what they thought they were worth. You couldn't just generically price tag them anymore. Then you fast forward to the 70s 
You get Bobby Hole from the Winnipeg Jets. Was the first player ever to sign a million dollar contract. On a 10-year deal, Hall signed for $1 million. Highest paid player at the time. And that's 72. Six years later, Dave Parker from the Pittsburgh Pirates signs for $5 million. And that was a five-year deal, making him the first player ever, Dave Parker, to make a professional average per year of a million dollars or more. And then, like in all things, especially with humans, all it takes is the one. Winning time, uh, the guy who played Jerry Buss, they hinted at that. Once they broke the Roman mile, once it was ran in under three minutes, done all the time that's humans once something happens comes changes the landscape things are generally never the same and same is true in this regard sports were never the same hard to believe in the 80s and 90s Michael Jordan was only making two to three million dollars a season then you get to the mid 90s late 90s it just flips on his head where he's the first $30 million per player a year. $30 million per. And then you, you do the inflation thing and you think back then. But they had owed Jordan that money. To the same of Babe Ruth and, you know, guys like Wayne Gretzky. Guys who were their sport. He underpaid Michael. The 30 was fine. He was finally getting what he was worth. But I think Michael showed that much. And that much meaning. He showed what sports. That basically. There's no way on salary. Your sports. If you're as good and transcendent. As some athletes. Very few. But some are. There's no way, there's no salary in the world that's ever going to be able to compensate you for your value. And I think he was the perfect example of that. There's no salary you could have ever come up with without destroying the whole basis and the whole system that you really could have compensated Michael Jordan for. Michael Jordan was the sport. There was no number you could say, well, each year being, you know, the person everyone tunes in for. This is what you're worth, Michael. It's impossible. And I think that became glaringly apparent. But that's just a little context with that. Michael becomes 30, uh, 30 million dollars a year, 96, 97. And then endorsements just come in. They'd always been around, but the money trickling in really changed a lot. By 2005, the average uh, deal on endorsements was $2.6 million, up from $2.5 million in 2005. 
from the years prior, where, mind you, in the 70s, the average endorsement deal was worth $20,000. A-Rod in 2000 signed a contract for $252 million with the Texas Rangers. Opted out of that deal and took 275 from the Yankees. I can see why people hate A-Rod. <laughs> Match being a Rangers fan. Thinking you snagged him. Him just to backdoor you for a little extra money. Tiger Woods is the first billion dollar athlete. Through prize money and endorsements, Tiger Woods eclipsed a billion dollars. It's crazy. Ronaldo, as far as an international player, this is up until 2013, was worth $73 million. That number's way through the roof now. Bradley Beal signed for 251 His money in sports. We come back. We'll take a look at a, uh, a little more home-centric approach. And we'll see just how the money locally is getting shipped out and spent. Maybe decide if that's the best allocation of these funds. Real nonsense. Stacks and flow. You leaping at a dog, a dog with no bug. Just a bite like a old shelf. And all you rich niggas know Paul. I'm talking about Stunner. He like keep your dough. He got your hoe when the sun shines on the king and sets on the prince. I met the bird man and I've been shining ever since like that. Real nonsense. Progressive sports talk. On demand as well. Trying to tickle that offseason. Uh, that show uh, that show void. Oh, it's a big void. But. Tried to get creative with this topic. Could bore you with news updates, but you get those all. All day, every day on your phone. So, figure we dive into this, but sooner rather than later, NFL will be back. Last night had the All Star Game, the great summer classic. AL takes care of the NL by the score of three to two. NL came out looking hot. Two back to back homers in the first. Uh, didn't score another run since. I mean, after that, though. Uh, it's a good game. I watched it. I bet on it. I bet the wrong side. Bet the NL and the AL took the money. Bet on WNBA last night, too. Bet on the Atlanta Dream. Worst team in the uh, WNBA. They were plus 600 against the Las Vegas Aces. Had a tingle. Had a tingle that... The gap couldn't be that large in their sports. And the Aces were coming off a back-to-back, even though they weren't playing at home. And, and the dream came out like hair on fire. I mean, they were up 20 points at the half. Mind you, there's, they're a 6-1 a to one underdog. You don't find plus six 
hundred on any sport right now. And it's three to one odds. Those are three to one odds. And I mean they just blew them out. Uh so I did make up on that bet. But uh I'll take now a little look at DC sports. We'll start with the history of it. As far as well, uh, some of the worst contracts we ever put out. And then we'll look at some people who are getting paid right now in the D.C. sports realm. And we'll decide just if uh, they're underpaid or right on par. We'll start in hockey, though. Yamir Yager came to the Capitals on a deal in 2001 for seven years, $77 million, which is a Boatload of cash in hockey. Yager ends up getting traded two seasons later to the New York Rangers. We were on the foot for all that money. And he just failed to even sniff the playoffs while here in those two years. That's a bad contract. You're paying a guy $77 million and you're done with him in two years. It's a bad deal. Jason Worth. Seven years, $126 million. I mean, he was batting lower than his weight when it was all said and done. Yeah, I remember that deal. Rafael Samarin, uh, Soriano, two years, $28 million. The long term didn't hit you. But that guy, didn't, he didn't deserve anything near $28 million. You're kidding yourself. The infamous Albert Hainsworth. Seven years, $100 million. Guy's taking a nap on the fucking field. I mean, come on. Adam Archuleta. You almost forgot about him. Five years, $30 million. For a safety, you benched. I mean, for a, for a guy, he's getting $30 million to not play. Jeff George. That deal was pretty bad. Especially when you fire his coach. His coach goes 8-8, eight and eight, and you can his ass. And then you're on the hook for this guy that the coach just paid. Eh. The Snyder era is filled with just mishaps like that. This one, though, to me, is the most uh, egregious of them all. And it's because we still have one more year we're dealing with this. It's the Jan Mahini contract for the Washington Wizards. Yamahini was given a four-year deal, $64 million. Doesn't sound crazy, right? Problem with the Mahini contract is there were portions of the money, yes, paid out, but protected through deferred payments. So we've been able to kick the bucket and kick paying Mahini down the line And we're still on the books. Let next year be the last year we're paying them. Which is mind-boggling. I mean, the guy's been gone. At this point, roughly five years, four years. Who thought we needed to defer? Who thought when we were done with Jan Mahini? Paying him 
would be a great option. Now, revisionist history. I remember us gutting the team during that Kevin Durant era. And then he left us high and dry. Didn't he meet with us? I think some of this stemmed from that. Because the team had a certain amount of funds allocated they had to spend. But still. Yeah, Mahini. Still on your books. In 2022. Still on your books. He's just getting paid. Start every season. Gets paid. I don't even know if he's still in the league. But I know he's still getting money from Washington. That's worse than the arenas to me. I could I could go to bed at night with the arenas contract. Cause again, to the value of what the person brings off the off the court. He was our player. You know, he's agent zero. You know what I mean? He was DC basketball for about three or four years. I can I can live with that. I can't live with checks leaving my organization made out to Jan Mahini. That part doesn't sit right with me. Currently, though, Terry McLaurin just got paid. Unpopular opinion I'm going to give. I'd pay Cole Holcomb. Uh, I, I don't think he's... Not, not, you know, necessarily the position of middle linebacker. I don't think we shouldn't be exploring other options. But guys that haven't got paid yet and have produced, Cole Holcomb deserves a contract. He's not the best by any means or any stretch. He deserves a contract. Chase Young. We'll find out after this year. This year is going to drastically affect how Chase Young gets paid. If he gets paid and what he gets paid. Injured second season. Disappointing to start that season. Defensive rookie of the year. Wasn't spectacular to me, though. This will be it. This will tell you one way or another. Logan Thomas. He already got paid. Shout out to him. That was decent money. Wasn't crazy money. We paid J.D. McKissick. That was smart. I don't know why we even bullshitted with that. Guys don't need to be paid. Not earning their money. Let's talk a little Curtis Samuel. Curtis, sit down. Have a seat, Curtis. I'd ask you how you're feeling and how you're doing, but from all accounts, it's always not good. Not well. Curtis, we paid you a decent amount of money. And you've had nothing but soft tissue injuries since you've been here. Seeing you on the practice field has been miraculous. 
It's been nothing short of miraculous. Seeing you practice. Had reporters rubbing their eyes and not even sure if they should report it or not. Curtis. You got to play 12 games this year, man. Curtis. 13. Forgot we got an extra. Curtis. You got to play 75% of your games. You can't. You sat out all last year on a fresh new deal with soft tissue injuries. Curtis. Curtis. Come on, man. Come on, man. You got all last year off, man. You're not even practicing right now, OTAs. Come on, man. <sighs> Strasburg. This might be the worst contract in history. It's shaping up that way. It's shaping up that way. Not even close. The number Strasburg's doing on us. Unfair. No other way to put it. He's on the books for 35 per. He pitched one game this year. And we had to work him up to that. We worked him up to that start. Rehabbed him to that point. Pitched one game. Took himself out. And now he's out for the season. He already has the worst injury history ever. Thirty-five million per. Thirty-five million per. And we offered Soto forty. So I can see from that angle, I see Soto's disrespect. You're saying I'm only five million dollars more worth five million more per year than Mr. Glass? Huh? Yeah. Yeah. When at 22 years old, I'm winning World Series. I'm a key component to that team, and you're telling me five more millions should get it done for me? Oh, man. I mean, this is ugly, man. I mean, this Strasburg thing is ugly. He pitched one game. He's on the books for $35 million a year. We're paying him $35 million this year. He pitched a game. <sighs> Man. Pitched a game. A game. Had no apparent injury. Then the next day, he shuts himself down. A couple weeks later, he's done for the year. I don't know, man. That dude. That dude is frustrating, man. I love him to death because of what he meant to the World Series run. But, I mean, that dude, from the Tommy John when he first got here, just how fragile he's been mentally and physically. Steven Strasburg, it is tough. And it's a reason when uh, Scherzer shows up, 
there's nothing but Scherzer jerseys and Zimmerman jerseys all throughout the stadium. Strasburg's been here longer than anybody. Fan base can't get behind him. He's a wacky dude. He's an interesting guy, to put it mildly. He's an interesting character, yo. I got to say, he's the worst contract right now. Him and Curtis Samuel. They got to be the two worst deals in D.C. right now. Terry McLaurin, some of the best money. And I know some of you may be thinking, what about Brad Beal? (sighs) I'm still a mixed bag on that. Holler at me in three years. When he's making the 58-plus million, yes, it's an awful deal. It's an awful deal, then. Now, he's kind of at what a star gets. And he's not in the position of Harden. See, Harden's a number two on his team. It's okay for number twos to take less money. Brad takes less less money. Who we get? You know what I mean? What's the difference? We get the... 28th best free agent or the the 34th. We're splitting hairs if Brad, he's even leaving money on the table. He doesn't morally owe us that. Is he overpaid? Yes. In the long term, track record, yes, he's overpaid. But it's hard for me to call him an underachiever or performer because all he did was meet the prerequisites to be paid that money to get the no trade clause. He had to be, you know, on the team. I forget how long, but he had to survive the tenure portion. And then to be offered the the super max, you know, he had to play at a certain level and I think be all team, you know, he had to check the prerequisites put in place to be even in the position to make the money that he ended up making. He jumped through all the hoops put in front of him. And that money was sitting there for him to take. Because based on the prerequisites, he'd earned it. Now, the eye test, he didn't earn it. But if we're just strictly talking, did he satisfy the rules in place to be eligible for the the amount of money he made? Yes, he did that. And most of us in our careers, we would do the same. If we satisfied loopholes and prerequisites that allowed us to uh, basically be paid and awarded for our loyalty, because that's what it is. That's what the NBA Supermax is. It's you didn't tuck tail and leave us. You didn't go to a bigger city. It's to incentivize guys staying in the smaller towns. It's it's to deter the LeBron decisions. It's it's to deter Kevin Durant just signing a deal, wanting trade next year. It's a little incentive for loyalty. A lot, let me be honest, a lot of incentive as far as financially for loyalty. Uh but, I mean, the root of this and the reason we're talking about him, 
I, I'm going to struggle to put him in the bad contract talk for now. I have no doubt he gets there. I have no doubt it gets there. Never works out paying athletes this much. This kind of spins back to Soto. What do we think is going to happen we pay Soto $440 million? You think he's really going to live up to half a billion dollars worth of play? Chances are not likely. But are you paying to have a cornerstone? Are you paying to have Babe Ruth? Are you paying to have Daryl Strawberry? Are you paying to have your Barry Bonds? Are you paying to have your Derek Jeter? Are you paying for your cornerstone? Or, see, the Yankees can do this. The Nets, The Mets can do this. The Lakers can kind of do this. Not as much basketball, but there are certain teams that don't require a star because the brand is larger than such. The NFL has the luxury of a lot of their teams don't have to worry about the star. The team's larger in most cities than any particular player. But teams like base, I mean, sports like baseball, basketball, hockey, you tend to live through your players a little more. But there's the other debate. Do you take the prospects and keep your books fluent? Or do you let a generational talent walk out the fucking door? See, the problem with the Nats, and then we get out of here, is they have the track record for not giving a damn. The the Nats have let Trey Turner walk. Max Scherzer walk. I mean, we, we traded him, but you get what I'm saying. Howie Kendricks was too old when we got the production out of him. Zimmerman, the only loyal guy. He was... He was a good player. Borderline great. Strasburg, the only guy you attach yourself to. Rendon, gone. Bryce Harper, gone. See, we haven't signed anybody is the problem. And now we got this generational talent. And it's more pressure. It's different letting a generational talent go. It's different letting Kevin Durant just walk and say, yeah, 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 whatever. It's different letting players that come once in a lifetime, once every 50 years, just up and walk out the door. This kid's 23 years old. He just won the home run derby. He's a World Series champion. Anybody with a set of eyes. You could have landed on this planet two weeks ago. If you got a set of eyes and understand the game of baseball, the basic rules explained can see that kid can play. Half a billion dollars worth? I don't know. But you, you want me to bet if he's going to be the best player in baseball sooner rather than later? I think so. How much is that worth? When it's all said and done. Nats are in this weird spot. They're the worst team in baseball. This is the worst time in ever. Worst team in baseball is unwilling to pay the best player in baseball. Or potentially the best player. I don't know if that adds up. 
I don't know what kind of sense that makes, to be honest, yo. Sit tight. Come back. Real nonsense. Get out of here. Stacks and flim. It's flim. And we back to close out. I'm not gonna waste any time. You ain't gotta look hard a lot of times, yo. Sports always uh real nonsense. Stacks and flow. <sighs> you ain't gotta look hard to find. Real nonsense in sports. I'm just going to give it to you. Aaliyah Boston, if you're not familiar with her, she's the uh, best player in women's college uh, basketball. She's national player of the year, plays for South Carolina, the Gamecocks. Long story short, the ESPYs were held tonight, uh, which is Wednesday, and she didn't get an invite. And before the event, a couple days before, People were acknowledging the snub. I'll say this. As as bad as social media has been, it's had a lot of good too. It's 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 kept people away from hiding and responsibility or being culpable in situations. And this was another time where social media uh noticed and the masses acknowledged how blatantly Silly it was that an invitation's not extended to the best women's college basketball player in the country, which I agree. You talk, you, you know, you put these WNBA games on, you 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 funnel TV money into the WNBA. You have their stars on, you know, their stars sit down on your panels. They enhance your NBA shows. You get their opinion on on the real money, the needle mover, the NBA basketball game. But you're this. It's all tongue-in-cheek when you do things like this. When you don't have enough common sense when sending out the invites, maybe we should invite the best women's college basketball player in the freaking country who's also up for an award. Oh. Oh. So. In her, these are her words. Boston wrote, uh, to be nominated for an SB. This year meant the world to her and her family. Said it hurt to find out that they wouldn't be uh, televising the category despite it being televised last year. Was. uh, I'm sorry. It hurt to see ESPN change course that way. My apologies. And invite her only after social media caught wind of it. Respectfully, though, I decline. Uh, Hats off to her. For declining They cut College athletes Best college athlete in women's sports That's crazy I mean that's crazy She does 
she writes that she felt brushed off. And she quotes them, a mistake and an oversight. And that's exactly what this is. This is a major company caring about football and pro men's ball and baseball and hockey and all the men's sports. This is exactly what that is. This is an entity that was too big for their britches. And they just totally left out the women in sports. They totally left her out. Totally left her out. They cited COVID restrictions. ESPN. Seating was limited. And due to COVID restrictions. They uh, prioritized athletes. Invitations to the focused on specific awards. That would be handed out during the broadcast. Which excluded Boston's category. Wow. Wow. I mean, that's a lot to wrap your mind around. I'm not going to sit here and act like I'm beating the table for women's sports. But what I will do is see the hypocrisy. And when the major networks are awarded time and opportunity to show these women. To show the world. That they're not a second class when it comes to professional sports. When you have the opportunity to just be inclusive. We didn't actually do anything special. We're just talking about including them. The best amateur athletes of the year. To read all five names. You sit up here with, you got 18 minutes of Steph Curry doing shtick. Unfunny shtick. Peyton Manning's big-headed ass up there. Trying to be comedians. Pointless interviews. Pointless touch bases. And you couldn't find two minutes to recognize the top five. Female collegiate athletes this year? What? Their championship is broadcasted on your network. What? ESPN. That's wrong. That's wrong. That's wrong right there. That's wrong. I mean, these women travel just like the men. You sit here, you have the men's uh, collegiate athlete of the year. And you, in the same breath, say it just doesn't meet. I'm paraphrasing, but just basically doesn't have 
The show was too packed. It was too tight to include the best women in college sports. That's real fucking nonsense. No good.